Our scripture reading today comes from James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now I'll invite Pastor John to deliver God's message to us today. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our worship service. Uh, we've been in a series called God's Big Story. And this is the catchphrase that we've been using. The story you're in is a story you live out. And by now, uh, you should probably already know this catchphrase. But I also hope for those of us who have been here for uh, the entire duration of this series is that you would actually be convinced. I mean, as you're thinking about it, you realize whatever story that you have in your hearts, whatever it is that you believe is most beautiful, whatever it is that you believe is most valuable, you will do everything that you can in your strength and in your power to live it out. But life is not so simple. Sometimes it is our very desires that deceives us and misleads us to either empty truths, false promises, etc. And so uh, before we begin, would you bow your heads with me in prayer that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to be transferred out of the story of the world to God's big story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all of our students here today, for our younger brothers and sisters, as well as our friends. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word, that your people will know, Lord, that we are called to live out a different story from the world, a story that is different from the story of worldly success, worldly popularity, worldly comforts, to an adventurous story of the ones that you have authored for us. I pray, Father God, for all of us here today, especially those who are struggling in their faith and those who are no longer struggling because they have perhaps tragically given up. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen all of us here. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to stir in our hearts again as you bring us to remembrance of your promise, promise of eternal life, the promise of life and life abundant found in Christ alone. We thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to briefly talk about the story of comfort. It's a very common and very popular story found in the world, the story of comfort. And my goodness, 
We live in a world full of convenience that makes our lives so comfortable. I was talking to a missionary this past week, and he was sharing with me that in Europe, when you take a shower, I don't know how you guys do it, but I keep the water on. And then I love the water very, very hot. And so what I do is I just spin around. I don't know if you do that, but I just slowly rotate like a rotisserie chicken that you will find at Costco. But in Europe, in order for you to conserve water, you will put soap, you will lather your body with soap and wherever else, and then you'll turn the water off. You'll you'll turn the water off. Only after you have lathered yourself in soap would you turn the water back on. I never even thought to do that. I just keep the water on and I just like melt in there. There's all sorts of different kinds of conveniences that we experience. For those of us who have smartphones, we have one of the most powerful tools humanity offers. Our smartphones would have been inconceivable, the kind of power that we have today just 20 years ago. When you want to know what to wear today, what did you do? You go to your smartphones and you check the weather. You don't pray, Lord, I pray that today will be 65 to 70 degrees. You say, hey, Google, what's the forecast for today? And perhaps now your phones are like turning on and whatnot. But in less than 10 seconds, you'll know what the forecast is to prepare you for the day. When I took math in middle school and high school, textbooks had answers to the odd number questions. I'm sure that's the same for you. And you could ask now, however, in your generation, you could ask or type anything on Google or YouTube or Reddit to find help, if not the answer that you're looking for. Whether we know it or not, we live in a story of comfort. But when we live live it out, uh, the story of comfort, you'll find, can't help you address the big problems let alone the big questions of life. When we face difficult circumstances, the story of comfort says the same thing that is always said, relax, rest, and enjoy. This doesn't make our situations better. It actually makes our situations worse because we're not actually dealing with our issues. We're not dealing with our problems. We're being distracted by infinite amounts and expressions of comfort. When we wanna know what our life's purpose is, like why am I here? What has God wanted me to do? Well, the story of comfort says relax, rest, and enjoy. And all of this makes us spiritually sluggish and dependent upon creature comforts instead of our creator. I know we're a little bit far away, but summer, when it does come, you remember the very first two weeks of doing absolutely nothing. And it feels so good. You hang out, you eat whatever you want, you play on your phones, play on your video games, whatever, and you rest. But after two weeks, what happens? You get really tired, you get sluggish. I mean, this gets old as well. And that's why in the letter of James, written by James, the Lord's half-brother, says to us something that seems like a paradox and something that you might not want to hear. It says that suffering 
is helpful. Suffering is helpful. How many of you are suffering here today? Whether you're a, uh, you know, whether you're a junior in high school preparing for your SATs, whether you're a senior in high school preparing for the next chapter of your life, whether you're in middle school just trying to figure out who you are, suffering helps us live in reality instead of our subjective feelings, right? Suffering makes us realize that life isn't what we thought, that life isn't fair all the time for everyone. Life doesn't work the way that you expected it to. But James teaches us that suffering points us to Jesus Christ, who understands our suffering and has overcome suffering without sin. That's really, really important. Because I know that all of us here in one way or another, you and I have gone through things that were really, really hard. But nobody in this room has gone through hardships without sin. Every single person in this room has expressed anger or jealousy or envy in ways that looks nothing like Jesus. Because when we see the Bible and we see Jesus suffering, we see Jesus suffering to the point of death. And I don't believe any of us have really suffered to the point of death, let alone without sin. In the midst of Jesus' suffering, he doesn't worry about himself. He worries about those around him. When he was carrying the cross and his mother is seeing him, you can only imagine what the Bible doesn't say, the gut-wrenching pain of a mother watching her own son be brutalized and killed. Jesus doesn't say, see, mom, I told you so. He says to his mother, behold your son. Knowing that this is what exactly what Mary needed, Mary's the mother of Jesus, that his death would bring to her forgiveness. And even at the foot of the cross, as he's hanging there, he doesn't say, God, strike these people down. He says, Lord, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Not many, if any at all, have suffered this way. We live in a culture where canceling one another is the right answer. But is it? You see, suffering makes us understand something. I'm not better than you, and you are not better than me. We're not better than the person to the left of us. We're not better than the person to the right of us. We all suffer in one way or another. If you cut me, I bleed. If I cut you, you bleed. This is what it means to be human. But James does say that suffering is helpful, especially for those, for those of us who are in Christ. In verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see, James tells us that there is happiness for the one who remains steadfast under trial. In James chapter, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3, all the way to verse 12, we learn that as we remain steadfast, something happens to us. When we remain steadfast during our trials 
and difficulties of various kinds, we learn to grow in Jesus's likeness. How many of you would like to suffer like Jesus? Initially, you would say, no, I don't. I don't want to suffer like Jesus. But here's the thing. Suffering comes to all of us. And so let me ask again, would you like to suffer the way that you normally suffer? Turbulence, ups and downs, constant sinning, hurting others because you were hurt? Or would you like to suffer like Jesus, a man and a God, 100% man, 100% God, who suffers with perfect obedience and no sin? This is a man whom we can say is steadfast. And Jesus, in the midst of our suffering, is transforming us little by little that we would become more like him and less like, well, us. The second thing that we learn is that we learn to trust in Jesus's wisdom. We learn to trust in his wisdom. I mean, there's several ways of us understanding life. Our knowledge, our experiences, our senses, but all of these things are limited for us. We don't know everything about life. I don't know everything about life. Your parents don't know everything about life. You don't know either. So who are you going to trust? Well, the world has answers to that too. And one of the answers is, is that you can start doom scrolling through your Instagram and constantly just inundating and flooding and being drenched in the messages of the world. Or as James says, we can rely upon a wisdom that comes from above, that comes from Jesus Christ. And James tells us that not only does Jesus gives you wisdom, he wants to lavish you with his wisdom. Not just a little bit of wisdom to get through the day, not just a little wisdom to get you through the week, not just a little wisdom to get you through the year, through middle school, through high school, but to get you through every season of life. And so we learn to grow in Jesus's likeness. We learn to trust in Jesus's wisdom, but also we learn to rely upon Jesus's resource, verses nine to 11, because James says, hey, look, listen, if you're poor, you should rejoice because in your poverty, you will see that Jesus is faithful. But to the rich, he says, rejoice, because know this, that all of your wealth will be burned away. But if you trust in the promises of Christ, you and Christ's promises will last to the very end, which leads to the very last one. We learn to live for Jesus's reward. In verse 12, he says that for those who stand the test will receive a crown of life. What is a crown of life? It's eternal life. You see, all of our sufferings, brothers and sisters, this is really the main point here. All of our sufferings are designed to prepare us to be a kind of people that belongs to heaven. Our suffering is to prepare us to become mighty men and mighty women of God. But just because you know the answers, oh yes, whatever Pastor John asks, the answer is Jesus. Well, yeah, that's true. But here's the thing. This is not just head knowledge. This is something that you and I must experience. 
that as we endure all sorts of different kinds of suffering, we experience all sorts of different kinds of faithfulness that God has over your life. And so, all stars in Joshua generation, I know that you are facing many trials and many temptations, many tribulations, of which you might feel like you can't tell me because you think that I'll judge you. Maybe you feel like you can't tell that to your small group leaders because you feel like they'll judge you. But remember, suffering doesn't just touch your life. Suffering touches all of our lives. You see, suffering equalizes everything. It doesn't matter if you're intelligent or uneducated, strong or weak, rich or poor. All of us will one day be in the same graveyard. Suffering touches all of us. And that's why we need each other. Brothers and sisters, all stars in Joshua generation, can I just add one thing? Please, please take your small groups seriously. We have small groups, not because I think it's a nice idea. We have small groups, not because it's tradition. We have small groups because where else are you going to be in a room full of people that know that they are sufferers just like you and just like me. We need to realize something. Friends, trials and tribulations and difficulties, I'm not saying that we should be joyful because our family members has terminal illness. I'm not saying that you should rejoice because you didn't get into the school of your choice. I'm not saying that you shouldn't rejoice because maybe you're going through family difficulties or relational difficulties. These are hard things, a hard pill to swallow, but we are called to rejoice because we know that our sovereign God is accomplishing his purpose through them. In other words, your suffering doesn't get the final laugh. Your suffering doesn't get the final word. The final word belongs to God. And he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. But I know this is very, very difficult. That's why James says in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. In other words, James is being compassionate here. He knows that what we're going to go through makes us doubt God. How many of us remember what it was like when we were in promised land? For those of you who are in middle school, you know how that, that was like, right? It was not too long ago. For our high school students, do you remember when, you know, our pastors from promised land would say to you, God is big. And do you remember when you were a child, you'd be like, wow, God is huge. God is so awesome. God is so mighty. He loves me and he will never abandon me. God can do all things. And when we're in promised land, we believe all of these things with our whole hearts. But then as we get older, we experience the difficulties of life and how life might be unfair. And so you're tempted to say, God, you lied to me. Your promises weren't enough for me. How could you? You know, we just prayed the Lord's prayer today. And in the Lord's prayer, it says, as Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation. So Pastor John, it sounds like God is admitting that he does lead us to temptation. 
The answer is no. It is not that Jesus is teaching us to pray, God, please don't tempt me to sin. Please don't tempt me to go on certain websites. Please don't tempt me to do A, B, and C. It's saying, God, please don't let me become so jaded in my heart that I'm tempted to forsake you. Proverbs 30, verses seven to nine says, two things I ask of you. God, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needed for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The author of Proverbs is saying, Lord, don't let my life be too uh, comfortable that I'll forget you. But also don't let my life be filled with so much pain that I will deny you. So what do we do? In James chapter 14 to 15, it says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You see, we're in chapter two of God's big story, the fall. And in the fall of man and woman, we realize that sin has entered into all of our hearts. This is the best explanation for why we suffer. And oftentimes, we are tempted the way that Eve was tempted. Remember, she looked at the forbidden fruit. And what did she say? Wow, this is good for the body. This is good for food, right? So physically, it tempts me. But it's also beautiful to the eyes because she says it's a delight to the eyes. And so it's physically attractive. But there's also the pride of life. She took it because she knew that this would make her wise, wise without God. Let's cut the middleman out. All I need is that forbidden fruit and I'll know all things and I'll be able to handle all things without God. And James is teaching us here something very important, that sin is alive and alive in us. And the purpose behind that sin is to destroy us. And so what do we do? In verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let me summarize what he is saying. Don't you see that every good and perfect gift comes from God and God alone? And he knows exactly what you need even before you ask of it. He even challenges our parents and says, you who knows how to give good things to your children but are evil in your heart, how much more will our heavenly father who is good in all of his ways will give everything that you absolutely need. And for us, brothers and sisters, the greatest evidence of this is none other than the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ has taken our place upon the cross, paying the penalty of our sins, which is death, and being raised again on the third day, conquering death itself. So that now, when we respond to that good news, we have eternal life. But you see, when we see that God has not withheld 
his very son to us, we must also see the logic. What will God withhold from us? He will withhold no good thing. Brothers and sisters, return to him and he will return to you. Draw near, draw near, draw near to the throne of grace. One application. Praise team, you can come up. Pastor John, why is it then that when I ask God for things, we don't receive anything? Well, James chapter four, verses two to five says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You see, brothers and sisters, when we ask God, we should check our motivations. We should see, Lord, is this just all for me? Or Lord, are these prayers congruent? Does it make sense? with me living in your big story, the story that you wrote for me? Or am I still praying, Lord, let me be successful. Let me be popular. Let me get into these kinds of great schools so that I can do A, B, and C and be successful in the eyes of the world because such prayers makes us enemies of God. But for us who are enemies of God, Jesus says, draw near. For I have given you everything that you need in me. Draw near, draw near, draw near. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we are on the second chapter of God's big story, of your big story, the fall. We see, Lord, that uh, sin doesn't come from you, but it dwells very comfortably within us. But Father God, we thank you that you point us to Christ Jesus as evidence of your love and your faithfulness towards our lives. Lord, may your people draw near to you always, confidently, because Lord, you have poured out your love and grace upon us. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, brothers and sisters, friends, would you rise with us to, receive, uh, to sing songs of praise to the Lord?